0: Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Now, this week's sermon is part of our series in the book of John. We've been doing the I Am Statements of God. So far, and the church can help me out here, we've done I Am the Light, I Am the Gate, I am the shepherd and I am the one I always forget, bread Bread of life. life. Great work. The church has been listening to the sermons, so they've obviously been really impactful and you should go back and watch them if you haven't. Tonight's I am statement is just a little one. I am the resurrection and the life. Just a regular statement. We all say in day-to-day life, nothing too extreme. And we're lucky enough that we get to follow through an entire story that's going to play out to this statement, and then give us a bit of context afterwards. Right, do we have those verses? Oh, what an IT team we have here. They're doing so well tonight. So, for those of you who want to read along, we're in John 11. We're starting off at the beginning. We're only going to verse 48. It gets a bit tricky after that, and I was too scared. So, (laughs) before we kick off reading it through, I thought, after Nick and I had had long long conversations about how to talk about this chapter, we decided we'd come up with uh, a good little question to guide us along through the sermon. So the question we're going to try and answer tonight is where is God in suffering? So you know, something light, easy to follow through, should only take me about 10-15 minutes to cover, you know, pretty straightforward. So be looking out for statements on where is God in our suffering. Now I am a youth worker at a school, don't know if you could have guessed, but I do a lot of work with young people, so sort of 12 to 18-year-olds. I do a lot of work in particular with sort of your year 8s, year 9s, year 10s. So if I talk to you like you're 13, 14 or 15, I (laughs) apologise, but it might happen. And I will be stopping and clarifying points that I would have to clarify if you were, say, a year 9 who didn't like Christianity and would be asking annoying questions in order to derail the class. So the sermon may get off track. We'll find out. But I think it'll be fun anyway. Now, let's kick off. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. Now, who were Mary and Martha? Great question. They weren't random people. These are people who play a part in the Bible. They're not Jesus, so they don't play the biggest part, but they play a part. And John goes on to clarify, thankfully. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus was now lay sick, was the same who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Cool. Everyone got that? You know who she is now? Good. Excellent. That's a story that comes later on. We haven't got time to cover it. But what you can take from this sermon is how much there is to cover in any particular chapter that you don't have time to do in 20 minutes. So I encourage you to go read this for yourself. So we've got Mary and we've got Martha and their brother who's Lazarus who's sick. Great start to a story. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. They knew who he was. They sent him words. They said, Lord, the one you love is sick pretty straightforward. We're all on the same page. Now when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory and that so God's son may be glorified through it. Which sounds like a pretty weird sentence to say after you've found out one of your mates is sick. Probably not the first thing I'm going to say. Probably not the last thing I'm going to say. But Jesus says it because Jesus knows more than the rest of us do. He's a bit ahead in the story. He knows a few things we don't. So, what does Jesus know? Jesus knows this sickness is not just a regular illness. He knows that Lazarus will actually die. Spoilers for those of you who haven't read the story. He dies, and comes back. Now you've read the whole story. (laughs) So, Jesus knew this ahead of time, and yet he still says this sickness will not end in death. What did he mean by that? Well, it doesn't end in death, it ends in resurrection. So we know that from the beginning of this story, Jesus knew how this story would play out. He knew the whole story at the beginning. Sounds familiar. Now, after he heard... Where where are we? Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So he loved these people. He cared for them greatly. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Anybody else a bit confused? I'd like to think that if, I don't know, I dropped down having had a heart attack, you wouldn't all stay there for two days before you came and helped me. But maybe you would. I hope not to find out. But why did Jesus do it? I mean, Jesus was Jesus. He was all-powerful. He'd been walking around healing people. He'd already fed 5,000 people with two bits of bread and a few fish. He could have healed Lazarus like that. But instead, he let the sickness go on and he waited where he was two days. At this point in the story, if you ask the question, where is God in our suffering, you would say, absent and waiting. Not a great response. But luckily this isn't the end of the story. We've got plenty more chapter to go. So what did he do after he waited two days? And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. So this is where he was. He had been in Judea, they had had a few altercations there, I think it's fair to say, that had resulted in the people of Judea attempting to stone Jesus to death. Not a great place to visit, probably not somewhere you're going to go on a scenic holiday after you've been nearly stoned to death. And his disciples knew this. So his disciples were the people who walked with him. They followed him around. They'd been in Judea and nearly stoned with him. And they said, but Rabbi, but teacher. They said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you and yet you're going back. Why? Why would he go back? The threat of death? You wouldn't want to go back to that. I don't know if I, if I had a heart attack here and you all waited your appropriate two days to come help me, but there was a line between me and you. How many of you would come past the line to see if you could help? Something to reflect on this evening, if you've got some spare time. Really going to flesh this hypothetical out now I've committed to it. <laughs> That's what we're going to go with. Jesus answers, again, in a very seemingly cryptic manner, but it all makes sense in the end. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Now there's a whole sermon we could do in here on Jesus' claim of I am the light, and Nick's already done that. If you'd like it, go back and listen to it, but it's got great parallels here. Basically, he's saying, we're going to go to Judea. I'm going with you. You're going to walk with me, and I'm saying, we're going to make it to Judea. Trust me, it's going to happen. And after he said this, he went on to tell them that we're not just going there for a sightseeing trip. We're not just popping around. We're going there because our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Okay. Now, if you're a year nine boy, you're asking the question of, why would I march a day's hike? to go and wake my mate up. His alarm will do it for him. And that's basically what the disciples said. They said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Why would we go there to wake him up? And I, it's at this point and several points in this story that I, as somebody who works at a school, can empathise with Jesus. You try and teach somebody something very simply. He's fallen asleep. We're going to go wake him up. And people will misinterpret that as he's actually fallen asleep and we need to go wake him up. And Jesus' reply every time through this verse, it happens through this chapter, it happens three times, I'll point them out, is to say something loving but very clear afterwards. So he replied with... Jesus had, well, the narrator of the story clarifies that Jesus had been speaking of his death And they meant natural sleep. And Jesus replies and told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I mean, it's to the point. It's a bit harsh, but they get the picture. But he continues and says, and for your sake, I am glad. Gee, it's a tough story for Jesus here at the beginning, isn't it? So far, where is God in our suffering? Well, he's a day's hike away. He's two days late. And he's glad you're dead. It's not great, is it? (laughs) And if you stopped there, it's not a great story. But again, luckily it continues. So I'm glad, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So at this point, Jesus begins to clarify why he's glad, so that they might believe. There was a greater purpose to hear. We see again, Jesus knew how the story would play out from the beginning. We were the ones who were behind and off they go. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Thomas is close, at least he's enthusiastic. He's not real confident that they're coming home, but you know, he's ready to give it a crack, so points to Thomas on that one. And then off they go. So they travel there. To clarify, they sent, the sisters sent a message to Jesus. The agreed upon time is it would have taken about a day for the message to get there. Jesus waits around for two days and it would have taken them about a day to travel there. So just so you know, Lazarus was in the tomb for four days. So he died pretty much after the message got sent. So Jesus knew straight away that Lazarus was dead. Now, off they go to Judea to visit the sisters. And on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead and in the tomb for four days. So he didn't really need to rush. He was already dead. Thanks, guys, for coming to save me from my heart attack. I was dead. Don't worry about it. Now, Bethany, where they were headed to, was less than two, day, two miles from Jerusalem. So it's not far. People from Jerusalem had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. So we've got Martha runs up to Jesus. Lord, Martha says, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So Martha's run up to Jesus. She sent word to him saying, my brother is sick, obviously hoping that Jesus would do something about it. And then she sees him and she runs up to him and says, if you had been here, he would still be alive. And then she goes on and says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. She knows who Jesus is. Now we've got to remember that this, this, these people didn't have the benefit we have. We can look back on the Bible as a complete text. We've got the Old Testament, we've got Jesus, we've got the rest of the New Testament. It's all there. We don't have to guess the storyline. We don't have to guess who Jesus was. We weren't worried about these things. We know all the answers. They're all there. But in this time, these people only had the Old Testament. They were still deciding whether or not Jesus was who he claimed to be and he was claiming a pretty giant claim. I am the Son of God. I am the light I am the bread of life, he was making massive claims and to have the faith that he was what he said he was, was giant and something that a lot of the people who followed Jesus didn't have, yet Martha did. She knew exactly who he was and she said, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So she's sad, she's grieving that her brother has died. She's mourning with all of these people who've come from Jerusalem and yet when she sees Jesus, She asks, she says, I know you could have saved him, but I'm glad that God can still give you whatever you ask for, which is just incredible faith that I wish I could live up to. Jesus responded to her, your brother will rise again, again. Jesus has offered her a pretty simple statement. Martha is this woman of brilliant faith and she knows what's going on. She's very cluey. She knows the scriptures and she goes, I know he'll rise again in the res- resurrection at the last day. Now, good on her. She's read the scriptures. In the Old Testament, there are, there's a doctrine that talks about a resurrection at the end. It's not clearly laid out. It's not a massive part of the Old Testament, but it's there. It's still debated, to some extent, how factual they would have relied on, the resurrection at the end of the days. But Martha was going for it. She's like, I know he'll rise again at the end. So points to her. But luckily, Jesus was there. Because what we don't need in our time of mourning and grieving is a doctrine. Doctrines won't make you feel better. When you're sick, you don't need a doctrine, you need a doctor. Very similar, one will be a lot more useful. When you're in trouble with the law, you don't need a law textbook, you need a lawyer. Here, what Martha didn't need was a doctrine, what she needed was the fulfilment of the word. Jesus. And he was there. Awesome. So what did he do? Just solve all the problems? Sadly, no. Otherwise, it would be a lot quicker sermon and we could all go home. She said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Wow. Imagine somebody walking up to you and saying that. You'd have a few questions, I feel. I might have a few questions on logistics. Maybe some definitions to check we're all on the same page, but no. He continues The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So Martha, in her time of grieving, comes up to Jesus, says, I know you could have saved him, but I'm glad that God will still give you whatever you ask. And Jesus turns around and questions her Do you believe that I'm the resurrection? that's a tough one to answer whilst you're sobbing, your brother's just died, you know, you've had his funeral. I don't know that most of us are in the place to to debate theological topics at this point, but Martha was on it, much more on it than I would have been. She says, yes, Lord, she replied, and I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Wow. Martha's doing a lot better than the disciples a lot of the time. And after that, she said, after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, mourning with her, noticed how quickly she had got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn she has got a group of people who've been sitting inside, mourning the loss of Lazarus, and Mary gets up, legs it out of the house, off to see Jesus, followed by a group of Jewish people who are also in the midst of mourning. It's not a pretty scene, but it's an important scene. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. How many of us have said things like that to God? When things are tough and you go, God, if you had just solved the problem I asked you to solve, all would have been well. How many of us have gone, life would be so much easier if God just fixed this problem? I'll give him the solution. God, I'm so lonely, give me a wife. God, I'm so tired, give me rest. God, I'm so poor, give me a Ferrari. I mean, I don't know about you, but those prayers don't seem to work out for me very often. Hence, I'm not driving a Ferrari. Still worth trying. There's a clear difference here between how Mary and Martha approached it. Martha came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Which is true. She's right. Jesus could have healed him. And then she continues to say, but I trust that God will still give you whatever you need. Martha comes to Jesus with a problem that she needs help with. Whereas Mary comes to Jesus with the solution. She says, if you had healed my brother, all would have been well. And the question I pose to you is, how many times do we come to God with our solutions rather than our problems? Give me a wife rather than give me company. Give me a Ferrari rather than provide for me, or I'm in need of providing. How many times do we not trust that God's solutions will be better than ours? Because I know my solutions to most problems fail in the end, but God's don't. But Mary throws herself at his feet in the midst of mourning and says, Lord, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus doesn't rebuke her. Jesus throughout this entire passage is loving with all of the people he interacts with. No, no time does he shout them down for mourning or if you had more faith in knowing that he would rise again, why would you be so sad? No. Here is one of the most humanising passages for Jesus for me, like to, to show that he suffered as we did and understands what we're going through. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He asked, Where have you laid him? A question he didn't need to ask. He could have known the answer, but instead he asked them. He asked, and they said, Come and see Lord. And then we get to the notorious shortest verse in the Bible Jesus wept. Jesus cried with them. Jesus didn't just rock up to be with them, he didn't just waltz in to solve their problems. He didn't just come magically to fix everything. Jesus walked into their lives and cried with them during their mourning. So at this point in the chapter, if you asked, where is God in our suffering? I would say he's crying with us. God is not a fan of suffering. He didn't make the world and humanity so that we could all suffer. He made it so he could be in relationship with us. And when Jesus came... He was in relationship with people. He was very friendly, very close with his disciples, with with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, so close that when Lazarus died, even though Jesus knew he would raise him from the dead, he cried with them because it was horrible and suffering is hard and God knows that and he doesn't condemn you for being sad when things are hard. He doesn't say, pep up. All should be well, you have faith in me. Mary and Martha had brilliant levels of faith in Jesus and yet they still cried over their dead brother and Jesus cried with them. So to remember that we can cry even though we have faith and know that Jesus is sad with us. Then Jesus said, oh, then the Jews said, apologies, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? A pretty fair question. He could have. He definitely could have. And a question that many of us have asked, could he not have done that to make this easier for me? Could he not have saved Lazarus before he died? And the answer is, well, what was the point of, being, of raising Lazarus from the dead? As one of my Year 9 said on Friday... What the heck's the point of that? And I like the simplicity that comes with it. If you were to boil it down, it, wasn't, it was because Jesus didn't come here to be a brilliant healer. He came here to be a saviour. He came here to be our new life, not just to cure disease, but to cure everything and offer us eternal life afterwards. He could have healed Lazarus, absolutely, but he didn't because there was a greater purpose. Sometimes God's answers to our prayers are a long way off our answers to our prayers, which is a good thing because our answers aren't always perfect, and his are. So Jesus then continues on. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. He said, take away the stone. He offered a pretty simple command there. These are all people of faith. Mary and Martha are there. They trust in Jesus wholeheartedly. And Martha replied, but Lord, the sister of the dead man said, by this time there'll be a bad odour, for he has been there for four days. I would have liked to have thought that at this point you would have trusted what Jesus was giving you commands on. But, you know, things are tricky to believe in person. So he's been there for four days and there'll be a bad odour. Jesus replies again, lovingly doesn't rebuke her, doesn't say, didn't you listen to me, I'm the resurrection, I'll raise your brother, yada, yada, yada. Instead he says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? A pretty simple statement. Have faith and you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. And here we get to the point. Why did did Jesus raise Lazarus, Lazarus from the dead? Why did he not heal him? Why did he raise him at all? What is the point of the story? And the point of the story is that so people might believe. He could have healed him with the click of his fingers from miles away. He could have stopped the sickness from ever reaching him. He could have brought him back from the dead when there was no one there. But he didn't. He did it for a reason. He did it so that the people may see and believe. And when Jesus said this, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hand and feet wrapped with strips of linen cloth and a cloth around his face. And Jesus simply said to them, take off the grave cloths and let him go. So all of this to culminate in a story of Jesus raising one man so that many people would see and believe, so that we would understand how Jesus fits into our suffering because he didn't come to earth and avoid it. He could have come to earth, been born into a family of kings, lived a wealthy life and dodged all of disease and all people struggling. He didn't. He came and lived as we live. He suffered. He had hard times. He worked with people who were going through the most horrendous things and all in all he died in one of the most horrendous ways humanity has ever come up with killing someone. But this isn't where the story ends. I wish it was. But we get a reality check for humanity. After that it goes on to say, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him awesome. Lots of people come to believe in Jesus when they can see what he's doing. When they've seen it, you get that moment and you go, I believe. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting. They said, what are we accomplishing? Here is a man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple And our nation. Here's a man going around doing miracles, healing the blind, feeding the hungry, raising the dead, and yet some people wanted to get rid of him for fear of their temples and their nation being taken away. How stereotypically human of us that we can have a genuine miracle right in front of us and we feel the need to kill it. That we go, here is a man who is solving our problems, who is preaching God's love all the places he goes. What should we do? Kill him. It's concerningly us. But luckily, that isn't where the story ends. But it is where we're going to finish in John. I don't want to take up all of your evening. So the takeaway points. Where is God in our suffering and our grief. He is not two days away, four days late and uncaring. He's there on his time, when he needs to be there, when it is right for him to be there and when the best can come from it. He is with us in our sadness. He doesn't neglect it. He doesn't condemn us for it. He loves us through it and he cries with us. And how should we talk to God? perhaps we should try talking to him by offering up our problems and asking him for his solutions, rather than offering up our solutions to our problems. Perhaps we don't know the whole story, and perhaps he does. Let us now pray. Dear God, thank you for this evening. Thank you that we may gather here tonight as a congregation, as a group of people who want to hear more about you, that we might gather so that we could watch Caitlin's baptism. We thank you for that baptism. We thank you that despite all that is going on in this world, you understand us in our suffering because you have suffered. You have suffered with us and you have suffered for us. We pray that you might bring a quick end to suffering in this world and that whilst you do that, you deliver the best most perfect outcomes that we could not imagine. We pray that we understand that you love us always and that even when we question and even when we doubt, you will meet us with loving answers. You will not rebuke us. You will love us. We pray for the world as a whole, that suffering might be eliminated. We pray for each of the people here as they go out into their week, knowing that they are wholly and truly loved by a God who suffered for them so that they would not have to. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.